we are truly blessed as a church to be able to come and to worship, to come and to praise. And it's good to have Brother Greg back from vacation. Miss Hannah, thank you for, I don't know if that's a violin or a fiddle, but uh, I appreciate you playing whichever one it was this morning. Thank you, Tanya, for uh, joining us for worship. And thank you, young men, for taking up the offering. I think we, if we have any children left to go to Children's Church, they may be dismissed at this time. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When you came in, hopefully you picked up a copy of a bulletin. It's a little bit different format than we've had in the past, but I'm sure that we will be able to adjust together. But uh, there's a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes. If you want to follow along as we study God's Word together, there's going to be some notes, and I think they might be behind me on the screen. If you want to follow along and make some notes or use the fill in the blanks or however you can use it as we study God's word together. The emphasis is for us to learn and for us to grow and for us to be engaged in the study of God's word as a body of believers here this morning. So that's what we're doing, trying to make sure that there's every opportunity that you and I have to be engaged together in the Word. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be there in a few moments. Uh, Kind of maybe a little bit of an audience participation point. How many bones do you have in the human body? Yes, sir. All of them. them. Very good point there, Mr. Brother Ron. Okay, so that's kind of a trick question because the, the medical establishment will tell us that you are born with right around 270 bones when you are born. Now, as you reach into adulthood or as your body uh, kind of comes to the, the, the summation of its maturity, some of those bones have fused together and so they don't have an exact number for how many bones you have in your body. Rather, they'll tell you that you have about 270 bones at birth and then once you get to adulthood you're going to have somewhere around 206 bones in your body. Now which one is the largest bone in the body? The femur. I think I heard somebody say the femur. So the femur goes from your hip down to your knee. Okay it's that big one and it supports most of your weight. Your femur is the largest bone in your body but who knows the smallest bone in your body? There's some medical terms I'm hearing being thrown out. So let me just go with my generic terms. We call it the stirrup, okay? I don't know. I'm sure there's some other terminology that's out there. But we call it the stirrup. And what it's also known as is the stape. If you look it up on the medical dictionary, it will be called the stape. And it's the smallest bone in the human body. It's one of the three bones that's there in the inner part of your ear that communicates the auditory vibrations to your ears. That's how you hear sound. So they call it a stirrup because it's shaped of a stirrup, but it's actually the smallest bone in the human body. And this bone, if you were to take it out, and if you were to get your tape measure out and look at it, it's roughly two to three millimeters in size. Now you may be like me, and you may think, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, let me try to put it to you and maybe in a way we can rate a penny, you know, a penny, copper penny, coins. I know coins are short right now, but a, a copper penny measures roughly 19 millimeters across. So this stirrup bone that is setting inside of your ear that is helping you right now hear my voice through this amplification system, that stirrup bone or that state that's in your ear right now is two to three millimeters where a penny is 19 millimeters to kind of give you an idea. So we've talked about the largest bone, the smallest bone, how many bones you have in your body. But maybe another question we could ask is, do you have bones in your body right now that you don't need? 
And yeah, well, some people are going to say yes, and it kind of depends on how you classify it. Some people will classify your wisdom teeth as being a bone, and therefore, a lot of times, people get their wisdom teeth taken out, so that's not a bone you need. One of the more common ones is what we call the tailbone. Now, I've tried to pronounce this, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's the coccyx. C-O-C-C-Y-X. And it's the fancy term to talk about your tailbone. If you're an evolutionist, which I hope none of you are, but if you're an evolutionist, they will tell you that since we evolved from primates or something else, or tadpoles, if you will, once upon a time, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather or somewhere had a tail. And so that remnant is still there. We don't believe that because that's not what the Bible teaches, but you still have a tailbone, a spur, if you will, on the end of your spine. And some people would say, well, that is a bone that is not needed. But I think that the most of us, as we are gathered here this morning, many of us would say most of the bones, if not all the bones that you have this morning, have a purpose. And most of the bones that you have, you're using for one purpose or another. And if you were to, th- if you were to try to think about what bones do I have that I don't need, you would probably have a hard time imagining, well, what bones can I do life without? We have been talking the last few weeks about priorities. We've been talking about priorities when it comes to the life of the church and priorities that should be relevant in the life of the church. We talked about the priority of worship. We talked about the priority of presence. We talked about the priority of God's word. We've talked about the priority of God's spirit. And this morning, I want us to look together in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on the priority of the body of Christ. The priority of the body of Christ. Now when we talk about the body of Christ, we are talking about the saved, the redeemed that are part of the body of Christ. So it's not just First Baptist Church Wellston. We are talking about those that are saved, that are redeemed, that compose the body of believers. But for our argument or for our time here this morning, we're talking about those that are collected together right here in this place. If you are saved, born again, follower of Jesus Christ, you you are there, thereby part of this body. And so I want to spend a few times, a few moments, if you will, talking about the priority of the body of Christ. Because if you can just imagine that I was going to come to you tomorrow and I was going to say, okay, so we took a vote, we had a committee, we took made a decision, you're going to have to, we're going to, you're going to have to give up 15 bones. You get to choose which bones you give up. But you're going to have to lose some bones. And you can just imagine going to the list. What, what bone am I willing to give up? Or what bone am I going to do without? And we understand that just as in the human body, we need these bones to operate. The same is true about the people within the body of Christ. And we're going to see in a few moments just how vital it is that we prioritize the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is under attack Today. And you see there at the top of your notes, the state of the body also determines the state of ministry. So if we look around our landscape and we are looking around this church and we are going to say, well, we want to do great things for God here in Wilson, Oklahoma. We want to do great things for God when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God. We want to be used mightily by God for the purpose that which he has called us to. Then we need to understand that not just the state of the body matters, but the state of the body will then determine the state of ministry. So how can we be the most effective as First Baptist Church, Wellston? It's to make sure that we are most, most effective as the body of Christ together. 
So we're going to look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 26. But I want you to notice with me, we're going to read it in its entirety so we kind of get the context. And then we're going to back up, and we're going to pick this apart. And what you see there in your notes, and maybe on the screen behind me, is I just want to point you to three foundational truths for the body of Christ. So we think about how we can prioritize, or how we should prioritize, or how we should understand the body of Christ today. There's three foundational truths that I want to put before you. But first, let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand and not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the hand or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body. But the members have the same care one for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. May God add understanding and application to his word this morning. Right here in this text, you may come to and you may say, well, what in the world is Paul speaking about? What in the world is he trying to get us to understand in this passage, in this text this morning? Well, Paul is simply coming in and he is using an analogy from the human body to address it to our spiritual body or to our church body. And he wants to come in and present us with some foundational truths that are as relevant then as they are today when it comes to understanding the body of Christ in which we are a part of. And I want to point you to at least three foundational truths that I find in the text this morning. The first one is this. There is only one body. There is only one body. If you glance back up there to verse 12, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. The idea that Paul is trying to get us to is that there is only one body of Christ. We're living in a day right now where we have a multitude of different churches. We have a multitude of different religions. We have a multitude of other denominations. We have a multitude of people that are following after an Apollos. They're following after a Cephas. They're following after a Paul. They're following after this person. They're following after this person. They follow after this personality or that personality. But the reminder is that Paul is giving us is that there is one body of Christ. There is not multiple bodies of Christ. There are not different types of bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. Now you may say, well Spence, why does that matter? Well notice the oneness that Paul talks about. He talks about there being one body. He talks about in verse 13 as there being one spirit. That we are all baptized into one body. There's one spirit. There's one baptism. There's one 
body of Christ. So we're living in this day and age where people believe and people think that they can follow different people. They can follow their own ideas or their own feelings or their own beliefs. It can be common for you to come in contact with people and you'll be talking about church and they'll say, well, I know that's what you believe, but I don't believe that. What do you believe? Well, I've got this own belief in my heart. Was it biblical? Well, you know, I kind of take what the Bible says and I kind of add my own part to it. Well, you know what? If it doesn't say it in the Bible, then I can't hold that it's biblical. I mean, you and I can have a lot of different ideas about what we like or what we think. We can have a lot of different conspiracy theories. But the fact of the matter comes is that there's only one God. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit. And there's only one body of Christ. Which means, which means that if you are saved here this morning, you are a part of that body. Now, I think that that is mind-blowing to me because the reality that comes to me is that Spence is no longer an individual. Spence is no longer autonomous. Spence no longer has the right to do what I want, when I want, and nobody can tell me what to do because Spence is now in Christ. That's what it talks about in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, that we are now in Christ. And now me being a part of the body of Christ, I am no longer that selfish, precocious little child that gets to say what I want to do. I'm now part of something different. I'm now part of something bigger. I am now representing the kingdom of God. I am now part of Christ. And so not just that we have one baptism, not just that we have one body of Christ, but we understand that every believer is in the body of Christ. So that means that if you're watching us at home right now, you are part of the body of Christ and we are missing you right here this morning. There are some individuals that will watch us later because you had other things to do this morning. And I want to tell you that if you're watching me right now or if you're listening to me over the internet, you are part of a body. You are part of the body of Christ. I realize that we might try to say, well, that person goes to a different church. I was talking to someone Friday, and, and I said, well, how about so-and-so? As I'm readjusting back here to life in Wilson, and I said, well, where's where so-and-so at? And they were quick to say, oh, no, 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 they go to that other church. Praise the Lord they go to church. Praise the Lord that God has them someplace. I'm not interested in trying to steal sheep from other pastures. I'm not interested in trying to go out and, and trying to poach other, uh, other people. I'm just saying, hey, are they going to church? Are they being faithful to God? That's the point because we're all going to be in the same heaven. <laughs> we're all going to the same place. We're all serving the same God. We're all going to be at the same throne, casting our crowns before the Lord. We are all going to the exact same spot. And yet some people think that they can take themselves out of the body, that they can check in and they can check out of the body. They think that they can turn this thing on or turn this thing off and they forget that once you get saved you are now in the body of Christ and there's nothing that you can do to get you out of it. So sometimes we need to ask ourselves what are we doing? If I'm part of the body of Christ and I'm part of the body of believers then why, where do I get the idea that I get to choose when and when I'm going to participate? When I won't be there. When I feel like it and when I don't feel like it. What 
Paul is trying to get them to understand is he's trying to let them know that it's not there's all kinds of different factions. Yes, there may be multitude of ministries. Yes, there may be multitude of people. Yeah, yeah you're going to have groups and you're going to have preferences. You're going to have these people doing this and those people doing that. But the reality is, is every single person, he says it there in verse 13, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I think it's foundational. We need to understand as a church that we are part of one body. So it doesn't matter what translation I use or translation you use. It doesn't matter whether I like K-Love or you like Air One. It doesn't matter if you like the piano and I like the guitar. It doesn't matter if you like to call it Sunday school and I like to call it small groups. It doesn't matter if you like a jacket and a a tie from the preacher or if you like somebody to be up in a set of Bermuda shorts and a a pair of flip-flops. It really doesn't matter about our preferences, amen? It doesn't matter about what we were experiencing or what we are, traditions, or what we like or we don't like. It matters about what points people to God. Because we are all part of one body and there is only one Body, which means, brothers and sisters, that there is only one thing that we should be pointing people to, and that is God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, so many times you get into churches today, and they become what some people call affinity churches. And it becomes a take on the identity of one group of people or another group of people. And there may be coming a day that we may have all kinds of churches. We may have a nursing church. We may have a, a farmer church. We may have a rancher church. We might have a realtor church. And we might have, you know, uh, this attorney church. We might have all these different affinity churches out there. And you may say, why in the world would people do that? Because people are automatically gravitating towards other people that look just like them. But what Paul is trying to remind the church right here in this text is that what brings us together, our commonality, is not our personalities, our zip codes, our education, or our experience. What brings you and I together this morning is our Savior. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is only one body. So when we gather together, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. So Paul comes in in this passage and he says, I want you to understand this first foundational truth is that there is only one body. Then he comes to this second foundational truth. You will find there in verse 14 all the way down through verse 20. And let me just summarize it with this second foundational truth. There are many different parts of the body. Yes, there is only one body, but there are different parts of the body. Notice there in the text, he refers to at least five different parts of the body. He talks about the foot. He talks about the hand. He talks about the ear. He talks about the eyes. He talks about the nose. And so he goes in there down from verse 14 down through verse 20, talking about these different parts and reminding us that these parts are good. That it's nice that we're not all a bunch of noses. That's nice we're not just all a bunch of ears. That the idea of these different parts help complement one another. I am so grateful that among the ten digits, God didn't give me Ten thumbs. How nice it is that I have something that I can grip with. How nice it is that I have something that I can do something with. And he's reminding us that there are different parts in the body of Christ. And when you think about it like this, he's, he's trying to give us this understanding that just as you and I have different parts in our bodies, the ears have a function, the eyes have a function, we all have different things. So it is with the body of believers, we are here with different purposes. Not everybody here this morning came to lead worship. And not every single one of us has the calling to lead worship. I'm so grateful that Hannah was even willing to come last Sunday because uh, if not, it was probably going to fall to somebody like me and you don't want to hear me get up and try to sing. 
You don't want to hear that. It's best when I'm back there with the mic turned off, singing to myself. I am phenomenal in the vehicle by myself. <laughs> I am wonderful. I mean, put on some Lee Greenwood or some, you know, some Statler Brothers, or you know, you. I can sing with the best of them in the truck by myself. But you put me in front of people, and that's just not my purpose. And that's okay. And you're going to have a different purpose. And, and, and you're going to have a different purpose. We're all going to have different purposes within the kingdom of God. Not just different purposes, but we're going to have different functions. We're going to have different perspectives. And so that's why Paul is saying right there that you have different parts in the body of Christ. So he says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand or not belong to the body, that would not make it less or any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So he's saying, just because you have different parts of the body. They have different functions, different purposes, different perspectives, maybe even different services. That doesn't make one person in and one person out. Praise God that we don't all look like me. We wouldn't be able to keep people out of these walls. (laughs) Praise God that We all don't look like a bunch of noses walking around or a bunch of ears walking around. Praise God that God makes us different. I'm an electrician during the week in the oil field. If you were to go to one of my side bins on my work truck and you were to open up, you're going to find a, a tool bag. And it's, it's, it's fairly large size. And inside that tool bag, you're going to find a whole multitude of tools. You're going to find more tools on the side door than you're going to find more tools up in the bin. Now you may say, why do you need so many tools? Well, the reality is, if you know just as well as I do, every single one of those tools has a different purpose. Sometimes you may need a flat-headed screwdriver. Sometimes you need a Phillips screwdriver. Sometimes you need a Torx. Sometimes you need an Allen wrench. Sometimes you need a big flat or a small flat. Sometimes you need a short flat or a long flat. And so you have all of these different tools for all of these different purposes. Now if you looked at me and said, well Spence, which tool is unimportant? Well, they're all important. That's why they're in there. You mean they're all important? Absolutely they're all important. But they all, they all don't have the same use. No, they do not all have the same use. But they are all important just the same. And when it comes to the church and when it comes to the believers, God has put a group of believers in this place and we are going to be different. We are going to have different purposes. We are going to have different strengths. We are going to have different weaknesses. We are going to have different things that comprise of who we are and how we got here. And yet he puts us here so that we can serve as one body together. You go home and you put your car in the driveway and you shut your car off and you open up the hood and you start looking under the hood, you're going to have multiple different parts and yet every single one of those parts is vital for you driving down the road. Sometimes we in the church life, we want everybody to be the same part. Or because somebody's a different part than I am, I think that I'm better than they are. They, I think that they are better than me. And sometimes we forget that we are in one body and there are different parts of the body. But Paul goes on there in verse 21 and he gives us this third foundational truth. He gives us a third foundational truth that I think is vital for where we should be at today. The truth is this. The health and value of each part matters. The health and value Of each part matters. So Paul makes it clear that every single one of us are part of one body. He also makes it clear that within this one body there are going to be different parts. But then he also reminds us that the health and the value of each part matters. Well, the first question I would come to you and ask is, well, matters to who, Spence? Who does it matter 
too. Because if it matters to me, then it's all based upon my fickleness. And it's all based upon my feelings or my emotions or where I'm at at the moment. So who does it matter to? Well, one of the beautiful things is that there in verse 24, he says God. He brings us back to this idea that it matters to God, which is why he goes back up to verse 21 and he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What Paul is trying to make the point this morning is he is trying to say that it doesn't matter if you're a big part or a small part, a young part, or an old part, a knowledgeable part, or a mature part, an inexperienced part. It doesn't matter what kind of part you are. God has put you here as a part of this body for a purpose. So it doesn't matter about how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter about how much you know or how much you don't know. It doesn't even matter about how much you tithe or how often you're here. God has you here for a purpose. And you being here in this church matters to God. And it matters to the body of believers. See, I submit to you this morning that health, the health of the church, the health of the believers is the result of the heart. It's the result of the heart. Now you may say, where are, you get, where are you getting that from, Spence? Well, think back with me to John 13 and 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. What John is writing and telling the church in that gospel is that one of the things that sets us apart as a faith family and as believers in Christ is that we have love for one another. So what that love does is that love informs us that because God loves you, I love you. And because God loves you, God has a plan and a purpose and a role for you to play. And I want to do everything I can to support you and encourage you and to do anything I can to help you understand and realize the plan and purpose God has for your life. But it's hard to do that if you and I just come to church with our hands out saying, give me, give me, give me. It's hard if we're just coming to church and all we're doing is coming for what we get out of it. It's going to be hard if you and I are coming to church just for somebody to make us happy and to say the things that we want to hear. And we are only coming to church to take and to receive, but not to give. It's hard for us to be concerned about the health of the body of Christ if our heart is not where it's supposed to be. So I think Paul comes in here in this passage and he just tries to make it as clear as possible. Part of the reason why the health of the church is declining today is because the heart of the people are distracted. Because the heart of the people are wayward. Because the heart of the people are not tuned to God and to the things of the kingdom of God. They're tuned to this world and the things of this world. And so often you see the health of the Christian and the health of the church in decline because the importance of God is being put on the back burner. Because the priorities of God are being neglected. We have people today that thinks it's just as sufficient to watch church on a screen as it is to come and participate with the body of believers. Now, no way do I want to say you need to put yourself in danger. But there's some things that you can't duplicate over a screen. I could order a quarter pounder meal from McDonald's and they can give me a picture of it. But it wouldn't be the same. I could go to Sonic and I could order me a big old Route 44 cherry limeade and they could bring out me a picture of that Route 44 and it wouldn't be the same. I could sit at the house in my pajamas 
cup of coffee, watch everything on a screen, and yet I wouldn't enjoy the fellowship. I wouldn't have the love. I wouldn't have the touch. I wouldn't have the accountability. I wouldn't have the camaraderie. I wouldn't have the benefit of the brethren in the church helping encourage me and support me in my walk with Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that part of the reason why the health of the church is so much of a struggle today because our hearts have gone in so many different directions and our priorities are wayward, our hearts are wayward, and we're not listening to God. And we need to be mindful that in in order for this church to be as healthy as it can be, it starts right here. So it's not a matter of me coming and saying, well, when you get right, this place will be right. It's a matter when we get right, then we will be right. So he says in this passage, he reminds us the health and the value of each part matters. And so he talks about this health and he talks about the health of the the different parts in the body. That's what he's talking about. Verse 21 down through verse 26. He's talking about these different parts of the body and the health of these different parts. But then he also reminds us about the value and the value of each individual part. And I submit to you this morning that value is the result of knowledge. Why do you and I value the different parts in the body of Christ? Because we understand what it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. That all creatures are created in the image of God. Every one of us are created in the image of God. And so, because we are different, that does not denote value. People today have this idea that we got to have the same kind of equality amongst the, amongst the table. And so men and women should be able to do the exact same things. Well, the problem is, is God did not create us equal. He created us with the same value. He created us with the same dignity, but he created us with different roles. There are certain things I just do not have the capability of doing, like having children and having a certain level of sensitivity when those knuckleheads are being out of line. I'm all law and I'm all, I'm all strict and I'm all disciplined and mom comes in there and she has that tenderness and that compassion because she has a role and I have a role to play. And so just because we're different doesn't mean that she's greater value than I am. It means that we are both created in the image of God, equal in dignity, but different in role. And when we understand as a church that every single person in this room has a particular purpose and a particular role that God has selected you to play in this body, it doesn't matter if we are different because God all loves us the same. So it doesn't matter, brothers and sisters, if this person is good at that and that person isn't as good as that. It doesn't really matter about some of these things because the problem is that you and I can get in the church house and we can start looking at these differences and we can start looking at these things that make us uh, appear different and act different and we can start thinking, well, that's better and that's worse. So Paul gets right there at the end of the passage. He says, why does all of this matter? Verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Paul wants to remind us that division is a symptom of sickness. When we have division in the church, it's not healthy. When you have fighting in the church, it's not of Christ. When you have this kind of fracturing going on, it's not because people are given over to their calling from God. It's because it's a sign and a symptom of sickness in their hearts. And church, we need to have the kind of priorities that Paul is talking about. We need to have those kind of priorities that we prioritize the body of believers. But let me just ask you, as you're moving on down through the notes, let me just ask you about 
then what do we do about going home this afternoon? What do we do about going through our daily lives? How do we put this into practice? I've told you the last few weeks that I just want to put some ideas, some questions out there that I I hope that you would go and you would think about and some questions that you would ask yourselves, some questions that you would think about. And the first question is this, is what kind of part are you being? You're here this morning and you're saved. The Bible tells you and the Bible tells me that now you are part of the body of Christ. So what kind of part are you being? Are you a rusty part? Are you a stubborn part? Are you a beneficial part? Are you a healthy part? What kind of part, what kind of part are you being? The second question, what are you doing for the health of the body? What are you doing for the sake of the health of the body? Do you pray for the church? Do you serve the church? Do you give to the church? Do you sacrifice for the church? Do you prioritize the church? What are you doing for the health of the body? And the last question is this. What are your priorities? See, we're living in a day and age when we are constantly being distracted. We are constantly being pulled at different angles. The world is so easy and the world is so good about keeping a schedule beyond our schedule can allow. And the next thing you know, you're going to find yourself conflicted because you're going to have a million and one things to do on a Wednesday night. And you've got to decide, what am I going to do on a Wednesday night? You're going to have a million and one things you can do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon or even a, a, a Sunday night. And you've got to decide, what am I going to do with that time? Even on Saturday, Satan is so good at keeping you and I so busy on Saturday, even into the late hours of Saturday night. So when Sunday morning comes around, you and I are just... tired. We're so tired from Saturday that we have nothing to give God on Sunday. And so we drag in here on a Sunday morning and every single one of us, I can see it in our faces, we could handle another 10 hours of sleep and still wouldn't be caught up. And so we come in here and we try to stay awake as much as we can and then we wonder when we go home we didn't get anything because we came in here so worn out from the week before and the time before that we had nothing to give to God when it came to our attentiveness and our understanding and our hearts and our minds. That's why they say Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Because sometimes you and I need to figure out that, okay, we understand that if, uh, Sunday is Sunday. And a lot of times we will be where we're supposed to be at on Sunday. And that is all great and that is all good. But we got to understand that Sunday begins before Sunday. And Sunday is a matter of priorities. So what are you doing with the body of Christ today? Paul tells us that we should be prioritizing the body of Christ. Prioritizing the different things that bring us together. But where are you at this morning? You bow your heads with me.